You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Well, thank you, team. Good morning, church. How are we? Not a rhetorical question. It's great to uh, be here with you this morning. My name is Brendan. For those of you who don't know me, I am one of the pastors on staff here. It is uh, it's just fantastic to um, be with you and to uh, be sharing from uh, from from this book this morning. This uh, very special book. Uh, and I was I was my wife and I were having. Um, uh, uh, some drinks with some friends this week, uh, some neighbors, and for some reason, I like, I, it's not that I put it on the pastor hat, but I like started giving a history lesson about uh, like a little bit of, of this book and how 500 years ago, um, you could only find the Bible in Latin, and the only people who could read the Bible in Latin were the, were, were, were the priests. And so there's only a handful of people um, that could actually read God's word to us. And then uh, this guy named Martin Luther ended up um, translating the book into the common language of German, and the printing press was created around the same time. And, uh, and that kind of started this incredible, incredible revolution in, in really Europe and in the world, in the Western world, of people getting this book into their own hands, reading it for themselves, um, seeing the truth and the grace of God. Uh, and, and I was reflecting on that. Um, incredible, like incredible what came out, out of that. Um, one thing we lost was a little bit of the... Uh, I, I want to say love for church expressions that might not be like our church expression. Um, so we went from one church, one Catholic church, to uh, does anyone want to guess how many like expressions or denominations of churches there are in the world? Thousands? Hundreds of thousands? No, hundreds of thousands. Crazy. That's 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 too much. Uh, but it's you know it's, it's it's something where it's like okay, incredible that we could read this, but. You know, as 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 we kind of press into this book, and especially as um, I've been a member of church here and a staff under under Keith. Keith uh, has a heart for the church that is Jesus's heart in John, uh, where John says, like Jesus is praying that we would love one another. Right? They will know you, or they will know me by your love. Right? And so this is you know as as we step into this morning, and as we step into this weekend, where churches of all expressions are um, entering into Easter week, into Holy Week, where we contemplate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that we would, uh, yeah, just gather as one Catholic, right, in, in the apostolic creed sense, one large church coming under the uh, the sovereignty and the lordship of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? That's a, that's a free sermon before the sermon. Um, that would be $2, please. <laughs> so 
So this morning, we are uh, diving into Palm Sunday. It is not a typical Palm Sunday text. Um, Keith read the Palm Sunday text that's traditionally uh, read on this Sunday, and, and we're, we're going to kind of leave that there. I would ask and encourage you to maybe dig into that this week, but we're going to take this step um, and talk about this theme of gardens and to, for today, for Friday, and for next Sunday, um, we are all speaking about gardens. So this morning, I will be speaking about the Garden of Eden. And on Friday, Rick, Pastor Rick, will be speaking um, about the Garden of Gethsemane. And on Sunday, Easter Sunday, Keith will be speaking about the Garden City. Uh, the garden in the city found in Revelation 22. So we're, 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 we're highlighting these three stories, this kind of beginning, middle, and end story around the theme of garden. It's, it's quite incredible how the Bible has some of these themes so intentionally placed throughout, uh, throughout the book. And, and, and the theme of garden, of new life, of even ideal is, is, is one of them. And so we're going to explore in the Garden of Eden a bit about what it means to be human. In the Garden, uh, we, we see that God creates this incredibly beautiful world, heavens and earth, and then also forms humanity in his own image, male and female. He created them, and he says, it was good, right? And so there's this big theological term, imago Dei, which means created in the image of God, image of God, uh, that we're going to be diving into a little bit. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we get to see what it means to be human, just, just this uh, a glimpse of it. Oftentimes, uh, I think when we're even recounting the story of the Bible to ourselves, we read Genesis 1 and 2, the creation account, and then we kind of like skip to Genesis 3, and we get to the fall and to the brokenness and how, how sin entered into our world. But I want us just to, to linger, to linger before that this morning. So the purpose of the sermon, it's, it's twofold. As we understand what it is to be human, it's, it's to give us a little bit of context about where we are and to, um, to kind of place yourselves, to kind of like uh, center yourselves in something solid in our ever-changing world. And then also to hope, hopefully, and, and hopefully what I've been praying this week is to kind of rekindle our imagination. I think oftentimes... There's the sentiment of, is this all that there is? And, 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 and we, we, we can kind of just like, oh yeah, this is all that there is. And the story of Jesus, and the story of the garden, and the story of the future garden, is really to instill in us, oh, a an imagination of a heavenly kingdom here on earth. Right? It's, it's, it's the Lord's Prayer where Jesus invites heaven on earth. It's, it's not this distant dream. It's not this otherworldly place. Jesus is asking that heaven would invade earth. Like when you walk outside, I see trees. I see this place. This is earth. 
Jesus is wanting us to have an imagination for something bigger, bigger than we, we think. And if, if you're already like, man, I live in the clouds all the time, like, I start speaking and my wife is like, what are you talking about? Sorry, that's just my, me and my wife's relationship. So I, I live in this imagination space, but there is something even for me and for you who do, it's just to capture us with a holy imagination. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is the first book of the Bible. For me, it's on page 2. It's on page 2. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of like uh, preface and stuff typically at the beginning of Bibles. And I want to read starting in verse 4, and we're going to read to the end of Genesis 2. So Genesis 1, we get the creation account, right? Day by day, it talks about how God has made all of the aspects of this world. Light, water, plants, trees, birds, animals. And then it talks about humanity as well. And we get a little bit of a recap. So Genesis 2, the author goes back and, and explains explains things in, in, in a new light. So it's kind of just giving a little bit of commentary on what has happened in Genesis 1. So here we are. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on, on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow up out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It's, uh, it, winds, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild and all the birds, all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. 
And then the Lord God made women from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this book. God, these, these words that you have given to your faithful, faithful followers, and, and God, even unfaithful followers for, for thousands of years. And Jesus, it's amazing, as, as, as we just read these words, I, I, I don't even know the first time that someone would have shared them around a campfire. God, 6,000 years ago, 4,000, God, whatever it is, it is incredible that we have come to this place where the truth of these words are just as impactful and meaningful to us today as they were back then. God, let that, let that like enormity sink in. And so, Jesus, your word that brings life, your word that takes dust and forms something living. Jesus, let that transform our hearts this morning. Amen. Amen. So in Genesis 2, uh, I want to look at it through the lens of three different words. They all start with the word letter C. I'm taking a book out of Pastor Keith's alliteration box, and it says creativity, cultivation, and connection. These are three themes as we dive into Genesis 2 and, and what it means to be human, what it means to live in this garden that we see the first humans living in. And so the first one, creativity. Uh, just an honest fan, I know we're mostly adults in this room now that most of the kids and, and the youth are gone. Who here loves Lego? Okay, good. Who here has ever bought Lego for someone they love or someone else? Okay, okay, thank you. Yes, lots. So I, I have a picture here. This is me and um, my nephew Solomon. We're, we're, we're building. This is my favorite thing about being an uncle, and um, I don't want to say one of the only reasons I want kids so I can buy more Lego. Um, uh, but... But it's, it's, there's just something incredibly fun about sitting down with a pile of blocks. And in this picture, we're, we're following um, an instruction set, right? You always buy a kit. It comes with an instruction set. But what happens after you build it? Well, someone throws it at their sibling, and it breaks apart. And then the real fun begins because you get to take all these pieces and you get to have your imaginations just run wild and you can build whatever it is you want to build. And there's just there's something magical about that creation. It's like you're taking nothing, nothing, and you're making something exist. Today, Lego, I think Lego is still really popular, but um, the, the people who spend the most money on Lego are, is actually my generation, millennials. Uh, they have these like $100, $200, $300 pieces, piece sets. And so um, now all the people grew up playing Lego, they have jobs, and now they spend a lot of money on Lego. And today, though, we have Lego, but we also have games like Minecraft, Roblox, um, Fortnite that has all these. And they each have this element of creation. They, they enable the people, the 
players, the kids, whoever it is, to really express their imagination and build something. And it really doesn't matter who the kid is. They, they love this. There's something ingrained in us about loving the act of creation, of letting our imagination run wild and then making that imagination a reality in some shape or form. And all we're doing is reflecting the image of our creator God in this. God is a creative God. In Genesis 1, the uh, Hebrew word for creation, uh, for, for God created the heavens and the earth, is the word bara. And there's, a, uh, there's this Latin phrase uh, that's creation ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothing. And it's this, it's this kind of specific Latin concept, theological concept, that is only attributed to God because it's, it's that first bit in Genesis where it says, in the beginning, God. Like, before we get to anything else, there is nothing else. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation out of nothing. This is, this is an act of creation that God steps into, that, that we don't step into. We're, we're as, as humans, we're, we're kind of like grasping at this. So where it looks like we're creating something out of nothing, we're actually mostly just taking the world around us, rearranging it, taking elements from one thing, from something else, and making it into something new, into something beautiful. And it's still reflecting the image of God, but we have to recognize that God is big. God is the creator. There, there's all those images of the James Webb telescope that came out a couple months ago of like the cosmos of the um, incredible pictures from deep space. You just have to stop to think about, your, think about it for a moment, just how big it is, how, how glorious it is, how wonderful it is. And in Genesis 2, uh, in, in verses 7 to 9, uh, we get this neat little little uh, context here. The Lord God formed man out of the dust, right, um, of dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and the man became a living being. Okay, this act of creation. And now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Here's a really interesting line at the end of nine. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Why did God make the trees pleasing to the eye and good, for, and good for food, which I read as two ways. One way is like good for sustenance and for staying alive. And the second way as just like tasty. Does food have to taste good? No, no, like food doesn't have to taste good. Food also doesn't have to look good. Plants don't have to look good. There is this element of God marking his creation with his creativity, with this beauty. Like, why is it pleasing to the eye? Why was that an important detail to write down? And God invites the first human into an act of creativity. Verse 19. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. 
And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. What an incredible act of creativity this is. Um, I don't know if you've ever like started a company or, or named uh, um, uh, uh, anything. Naming stuff is actually really hard. <laughs> and, and it's like this creative process. You, you, you spend a lot of time thinking about, about how, the, how the name sounds, like what the word sounds like. And then sometimes you, you write down a name and then you say it out loud and you're like, oh wait, that's not a good name. And then you have to go back to the drawing board. And, and so it, it's this really intense creative process where Adam is invited into, where, where humanity is invited into. It's incredible that, that, that God does this incredible act of creation. And instead of himself naming, he's like, hey, okay, hey, you were created in my image. Now go and create. Now go and be creative in your naming. Go and be creative in your naming. I've said creativity a lot, but it's sometimes a hard word to define. And so I've, I've gotten a, a few quotes from some very smart people about what they believe creativity is. And the first one, Albert Einstein he would say that creativity is seeing what others see and thinking what no one else ever thought. Steve Jobs, creativity is just connecting things. And when you ask creative people how they did something, they feel a little guilty about it because they didn't really do it. <laughs> they just saw something. It seemed obvious to them after a while. I relate to this one a lot. And then we have Pablo Picasso, which is a great one. Everything you can imagine is real. Creativity, what you can imagine is real. I, I believe we, as followers of Jesus, made in the image of a creative God, need to broaden our view of creativity. And we need to broaden our view of creativity because when we step into the act of creativity, we are actually reflecting the glory of God. We are actually giving God glory by reflecting his image. We, it's, it's easy for us, I, I believe, when we think of creativity to go to like the, 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 the common things, right? Playing music, that, obviously that's creative. Painting, drawing, doing art, super creative. Or like... Like, like any of those elements. We, we understand that those are creative. But what about just expanding the view? You know, I, I believe the chef in the kitchen, putting this together with this to this to create something, almost as if it's out of nothing, that's an act of creativity. What about the logistics coordinator? Oh, wait a second. How can they be creative? The logistics coordinator who for the trucking company finds a new way to increase efficiency and is basically they saw something that didn't exist and they made it a reality. Is that an act of creativity? I would think so. What about the doctor who helps someone who's been struggling with chronic pain for years 
linked together a few things that no one had thought were correlated, and suddenly there's a solution for that person. Act of creativity. What about the scientist who, on the weekend, like in one single weekend, he got the, 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 the gene code for, uh, for COVID and spent a weekend working, and out of it came the MNRO, oh boy, out of it came the vaccine that I can't pronounce. Like in one single weekend, the scientist, where there was nothing, came something. Creativity is much, much more than what we tend to think. It's about doing the business deal in this really weird, complex way where a lot of people, I have some friends who are accountants, I'm like, what are you doing? Accounting is creativity. It's mostly because it's, it's, it, it feels like it's magic, all the numbers moving places, and so Karen, the accountant, and all the other accountants in the room, it, it feels like you're doing magic. Um, but there's an act of being creative. Creativity in the image of a creative God. When we step into it, and even think about your own jobs, your own life, your own work, when you're stepping into the creative act, you're actually giving glory to the one who created you. That's beautiful. So creativity, second piece, cultivation. In verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and it and to take care of it. There's two words here, work, avad, and take care of, shamar. Um, this work, uh, avad, it, it, in some books of the Bible, is translated as cultivate, um, to till. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the word for work. And then shamar, to take care of, which could also be translated as to keep watch of, to guard, this is an interesting one because um, I don't actually have the answer to this because I didn't spend a ton of time thinking about it. But just the question, what was Adam or the, the, what was man supposed to guard Eden against here in the Garden of Eden? It's an interesting question to ask, right? Was it like overuse was it like destruction of the garden? Maybe it was like outside invaders coming in? Exploitation? I'm not too sure. But it's, it's an interesting question. Shamar and then avad, cultivation. I, I think uh, for some people, this is maybe a good or a bad thing. But the picture of the future kingdom... Um, and and, and like when we get to Keith's message in a few weeks, because it's really the Garden of Eden transformed into something even more, is actually a future where there is work. <laughs> Uh-oh, sorry. It's, it's, it's not like, it's not sitting around playing harps, singing all the time. Um, there, I, th I think there probably is some of that, but the future of God's kingdom actually involves work. 
And, and there's two things, right? The idea that, okay, hey, we were created to work. One of the first things Adam was told to do, that man was told to do, was, it was work, was to cultivate the land. You're not just hanging out, walking in the land. You are working the land. If, if you're like me, the idea that we're created to work is liberating, um, and it's liberating because we work too much. It's like, oh, we work too much. I'm doing, I'm doing the right thing. Um, for others, maybe you hear this and you're like, oh man, I'm exhausted. Tomorrow's Monday. I'm like, oh shoot, sorry, tomorrow's Monday. There's, there's existing definitions of a work that we have that I actually don't feel are, are, are super helpful. And, and, you know, we have this one definition, right, this kind of workaholic overwork Definitions. These are the people who are like always working, you know, and, and our culture in a large sense glorifies these people, right? They're, oh, hustle culture. Hey, what's your side gig, right? And I'm so bad. I'm laughing at this because I, this is me. Like I fall into this. If, if I lean one way, it's, it's, it's this. It's like, uh, yeah, I'm always going to be working. And then maybe on the other end, there's the, the, the thing where it's like, okay, you know, work is like literally just a means to the end, right? Yeah, I'm going to clock in, I'm going to clock out, but I really don't want to think about it at all. I really don't want to care about it. Um, uh, if you're going to raise the retirement age, I am in the streets revolting. Um, that's a bad joke, isn't it? Um, uh, but if, if like, I, I am doing my job until 60, 62, 65, and then I'm checked out. I'll be on the golf course. See you later. Yeah, these are two extreme perspectives. And I think they're, they're both unhelpful and in some cases also illuminating. But I, I believe that the Garden of Eden actually gives us a bigger picture of what it means to work of what work is. And uh, I'm going to steal, borrow these next three points um, from, from T uh, Timothy Keller. It's his book, Every Good Endeavor. And so if, you're, if, if anything I'm saying here is like, oh man, I just want to learn more ab about this, re read this book, Every Good Endeavor. You can probably buy it on Amazon for like 10, 15 bucks. It is an incredible book. So this is how I would like to redefine work just a little bit. First, first bit, work as creating a flourishing world. Here's Tim K. The material creation was made by God to be developed, cultivated, and cared for in an endless number of ways through human labor. But even the simplest of these ways is important. Without them all, without them all human life cannot flourish. See, this brings us to a picture that work, work is more than just what you do for a paycheck. Right? This is a much bigger understanding of what it means to, to cultivate and to work the garden. What are you doing to bring about human flourishing in our world? That would be work. This isn't just what you clock in and clock out for. This is bigger than that. I, um, 
Uh, Keith and I, we've, we've talked about uh, these, these three ideas over the past number of years um, from this book called Futureville by Sky Jathani. And it's this idea that, that God's coming kingdom is marked by order, beauty, and abundance. Order, beauty, and abundance. This is the idea of what, it, what, what does it look like for our world to be flourishing? It's for it to be filled with order, for it to be beautiful, and for there to be a lot of stuff. This is, this is work as flourishing. Uh, the second point is going to hit home specifically for my generation uh, and, and, and younger, and maybe for you as well. I actually think for everyone, it's just become an idol for us. Work as more than self-fulfillment. A job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to do it for them rather than for yourself. And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interest. Think of, thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person. There's this quote, I think, um, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Right? That's, that's it, I think. Find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Guess what? Has anyone ever found a job they love and then they're like, oh yeah, that's me. I'm finding a job I love. This doesn't feel like work. And then like a month later, they're like, wait a second, do I actually love this job? Because this feels like work. <laughs> it's, it's this like complete bollocks quote. Um, I've been reading a lot of Harry Potter, sorry. Um, it, it really doesn't like... It's not true, and it's not true because we'll, we'll get there in a moment about how work has become toil, but this, this, this ideal that our culture has of just find a job you love and you will be fulfilled is in its very simplest words an idol, right? When, when something becomes everything, it cannot actually fulfill when something becomes everything, right? So when culture says, if you find a job you love, you will be fulfilled, they're making that something in everything. And guess what? You will find a job you love, and it will fulfill temporarily, and then it won't. And then you'll be like, oh, shoot, maybe I need to go find a different job I love. That's how idols work. They, they, they promise fulfillment. You get it. They, they, they give you a glimpse of it, but it's just not quite enough, so then you have to go do something else. You have to do a little bit more. It's a never-ending cycle. And so this isn't to say that we shouldn't have jobs we love. We shouldn't look for jobs that have fulfillment. But it's just this, is it becoming an ultimate? Is that something becoming an everything? Right, so work is more than self-fulfillment. Lastly, this is a... This is a fascinating one, work as service. It was alluded to in, in the last quote. But if God's purpose for your job is that you serve the human community, then the way to serve God best is to do the job as well as it can be done. Like, I love that. God is inviting us into serving our community, our family, our friends, our neighbor, our church, our coworkers. Cultivation, work, 
It's, it's, it's bigger than what we do for a living, right? It's bigger than just our money. It is taking care of the kids. It is cleaning the home, bringing order to chaos. It is baking cookies for your neighbor. It's doing those business deals that are super complicated, but honoring to everyone involved. It is mentoring youth. You know, speaking of mentoring youth, I, 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 was, I was texting uh, Gary this morning, Gary Sheik, asking for permission to share this story. Um, but a few years ago, was it like five years ago, six years ago, Gary, something like that, uh, Gary was in between jobs, and um, I, 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 like, he was at an age where he could have just taken a year off and been okay with it. Like, is that okay? Sorry, sorry to throw you under the bus, Gary. Uh, Gary's like late 50s, and so he, he, sure, he deserved a year or two off, just some rest as he was like looking for a new job. Um, and, and, and I remember I was the youth pastor here at church, and I think Gary invited me out for coffee, and we just started chatting, and he, he said, hey, Brendan, you know, like, I'm in between jobs. I'm not too sure, like, when I'm going to get a new job, and I have some time on my hands, and so I would like to come serve at youth. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, Gary. We, we, we would love to have you uh, at youth. And I, we, we put him up with the, uh, with the grade 11 boys, and there's this great connection. Uh, Gary was also jacked because he was spending a lot of time at the gym, so the boys loved it. Um, but but it, it really shows this, this picture of cultivation, of bringing flourishing to the world. It's like, yeah, he deserved to take a rest. He deserved just to to chill, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to take some of my time and reinvest it. I'm going to bring about flourishing. I'm going to reinvest. It's being involved as grandparents. It's understanding that there is a whole generation that needs the wisdom of people who have been alive longer than they have and who have seen pain and suffering and joys in ways that they cannot compute yet. They need that. It's investing with the kids. It's loving on your neighbor's friends. It's doing work. It is the side gigs for people. It's, it's bigger than just what we do for work. And I want us to get a picture of this because nowhere in the Bible does it say we work from 20 to 65 and then our job is done. And yeah, maybe your, your, your job that you get paid for is done. But where are you stepping into the flourishing world? Where are you stepping into um, service for your friends, for your family, for your neighbors? Work is bigger than what we think of and is bigger in God's kingdom. There's nothing wrong with retirement, right? There's nothing wrong with enjoying weekends and days off, right? There's nothing wrong with vacations. All those things are good things, right? God specifically made one of the seven days a rest day. He, he, he took a break, right? There's nothing wrong with Sabbath. We should be in seasons of Sabbath. We should be in seasons of Sabbath, but there's something bigger that God has also for us. The last one, connection, and this is one that we, we talk about often, right? In verse 18, Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
This isn't an, an idea, right? They're, they're specifically talking about, um, about like marriage here and this, 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 this connection, but, but it's more than that. This is like the friendship. This is the raw connections that we have with other people. And it's raw in the sense of 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, right? So there's this, there's this physical nakedness that they had, but I believe there's actually this, kind of, like, this emotional nakedness, or like, I, I am who I am, and I'm okay with that, and I'm okay with you being who you are, right? It's just this connection, and we, we get this, and there's also a connection with God that, we're, that we see here, because we, we know that God is walking through the garden. So we were made in God's image to be creative to cultivate and to, con- and to connect, right? These three things, creativity, cultivation, and connection. And unfortunately, unfortunately, Genesis 3 rolls around, and just like uh, Adam and Eve are, represent all of humanity and, and what it means to be creative, what it means to work, what it means to connect, so they also represent us in what it means to be broken. And they break, They do the thing that God says they shouldn't do. And brokenness enters into the world. And then so suddenly creativity becomes broken. What is the first arts and crafts in the Bible? This is a great little trivia question. The first arts and crafts is that both Adam and Eve's eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for their shame. This is creativity broken. Yeah, they are being creative in this moment, but the outcome, the reason for that creativity is actually brokenness. Creativity can be marred. Those accountants who are creative can also be creative in the wrong ways too. People use their imaginations to tear people down, to dream up new ways of hurting one another that have never before been seen in our world. These are acts of creativity, but they're marred acts of creativity. In Genesis 3, we we see how work has become cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. So the reason why work feels like work and feels like that grind some days is, is this. There's, there's toil, there's brokenness in our world where, where, where you, even if you love your job, there's going to be days where you wake up and you just don't feel like doing it or days that you're like, I'm taking a step forward, I'm taking three steps back. Cultivation has become a toil at times because of brokenness, our brokenness, the people around us' brokenness. And lastly, connection is broken, right? Shame enters, and we see in Genesis 3, this, 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 it's a part of the curse that that is spoken to the woman, to the woman. Uh, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Like, this is the curse that is spoken to her. Hey, in the connection, there's going to be an abuse of power that can happen. There's going to be this brokenness that is going to enter into relationships. 
And we're, we're leaving on a little bit of a, of a cliffhanger today. I'll invite the, 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 the band up. Uh, because Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of the garden, and they entered into this new broken garden. And the broken garden is, is where we inhabit, right? It has glimpses of the Garden of Eden, but we're looking forward to something else. And the beauty about Friday is that Jesus enters into the broken garden of our, garden of our suffering and shame. Right? We'll see this in, in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sees our broken creativity, our broken cultivation, our broken connection, and he enters into that, and he will take all that brokenness onto himself. That's the beauty of this week. As, as we contemplate Easter, you know, I pray that, that, that you know, we can spend some time contemplating our, our creativity, our, our work, our cultivation, our connections to those around us, but then also think, hey, how have those been broken? How have those been marred? And as we approach, as we come back here in, in a few days, we're going to reflect on the goodness of Jesus as he takes on that brokenness. And so, Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your invitation to imagination, to imagine something more for our lives than for our world. We pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.